hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. And if you want to improve your sourcing and supply chain management, then this is the episode for you. Sourcing products and managing your supply chain is a massive, massive task for the modern day brand owner. And so we have brought Afalabi onto the show today to bring some knowledge and help us in this journey. Afalabi, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy and honored to be here. Thanks for having me here. No, it's my my pleasure. I'm looking forward to uh, to diving in and learning uh, about you. And uh, I always say to, to guests we have on, like I said to yourself, I have to stop myself asking too many questions when I meet you for the first time because I think they're probably questions that our audience wants to hear the answers to as well. So to bring us up to speed on your entrepreneurial journey, let us know what have you been up to in the last few years? What is your experience and backstory? And bring us up to date with uh, with where you are right now. Awesome. Well, um, I started uh, sometime 2002. Uh, I had designed some shoes, some sneakers, uh, very, you know, colorful sneakers. And uh, I was looking for where to make it. I was looking, you know, for who to help me develop it. I have the drawings. I have the graphics. I have everything. I was excited. I just got out of fashion school in New York and, uh, you know, looking all, looking all over, trying to find somewhere to make the shoes. Uh, I couldn't find anything uh, because those days uh, we don't have uh, Alibaba wasn't really big in those days. So uh, and we had the dial up Internet, you know, those Internet you connect to your phone and you know, <laughs> hear the sound, uh, you know. So I finally after sending out a lot of inquiries, I finally find I found somebody. His name was Johnson out of Taiwan. And he says, hey, we can help you make your shoes. I'm like, okay, all right, what's the process? So he walked me through the process. He says, no, you know, you, know, you have to come here. I said, like, why would I need to come there? But anyway, long story short, I had to fly into Taiwan to meet Mr. Johnson. Uh, you know, went to met, meet with his team and it was a, it was an awesome experience. Uh, we started building the mold and developing the shoes and, uh, little that, little did I know that I was going into territories that I had no clue, uh, what I was doing. Um, so I spent a lot of money. I had to borrow money from friends to make the mold. I shouldn't have made the molds. You know, I could have just started with an existing mold and just, mm. you know, grow the market first before investing thousands and thousands of dollars into molds. Because when you're doing molds for shoes, you have to make a mold for different sizes, you know. So if you're doing size 8 in US to 12 or 13, you have to make mold for each of the sizes. So it gets really, really expensive. So I had to make the molds. I did, I had tons of designs instead of like narrowing down my design to just a few, you know, I went like 40 designs, you know? Um, so anyway, we got to production and he said to me that my minimum order was going to be one full container. I'm like, wow. <laughs> 7,512 pairs of shoes. I still remember <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I didn't know better. You know, I didn't know I'm not supposed to get sucked into minimum order quantity, especially for an unproven market. I mean, I, don't, I didn't even have a clue how I'm going to sell these shoes. But anyway, I went ahead, 
did letter of credit and whatever. Uh, we, we, we made the shoes. I had to visit the factory. I did the inspection by myself. Of course, it couldn't be perfect. You know, I wear a size 13 US. The samples that I was testing was a size nine. So I couldn't even test the samples. I just went blindly, you know, into building this product. <laughs> So we got the product manufactured and I started going to trade shows because that was all I knew at that time, you know. And then one way or the other, uh, Amazon reached out to me and was like, hey, we're, we're, you know, we're starting to receive new products into our platform. We, you know, we're transitioning from selling just books. We want to start selling, you know, merchandise. We, we think your product is a good fit. Would you like to sell on that platform? I'm like, of course, you know, I don't know how to unload 7,500 pairs of shoes. So uh, those were the days there was no seller central. You know, it was really tough. Everything was by CSV file. So I got on Amazon's platform. It was live and people were actually buying these shoes. I had no clue how they found it. There was no paid ads. There was nothing. Anyway, they were finding the shoes, but there was no FBA either, you know, so you had to fulfill by yourself. So I had this guy, Mr. Ken, somewhere in California that was helping me to fulfill the orders. The orders would come in. He, he, many times he, he forgets about the order. He wouldn't ship it out until a week or whatever. It was a mess, total mess. But looking back now, I saw all my mistakes and... Um, we we sold a lot of those shoes and it got to a point the shoes were being returned because the sizes were wrong you know it, it, you know and i was like what am i going to do am i going to like you know run somewhere and hide on an island or whatever uh, so i got to a point i said you know what i'll just liquidate this uh, inventory so i had to find a buyer somewhere in in, in florida and i sold just liquidated the whole inventory i'm like i'm done and, yeah. uh, you know, later I got back into Amazon, but that's another story we can get to <laughs> in the show. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So lot, lots of lessons learned and particularly around sourcing, which, uh, you know, it's the old saying, uh, you know, that we learn the most from our biggest mistakes and or our biggest challenges. And you uh, have obviously you know, learned some things the hard way and are now putting that into practice into really bringing a you know a, a valuable service so that's something we'll definitely dig into a bit more um to get to know you a bit more i'd love to just do our lightning round with you our favorite five lightning round it really helps uh, digital marketers e-commerce brand owners uh, learn new uh, tactics and also get to know you a little bit more uh, so firstly do you have a favorite e-commerce brand yes i I love Apple because I'm very visual in terms of mm -hmm. I, I like I, I really app uh, appreciate um, simple designs mm. and I love packaging when something is cleverly designed and packaged. So I'll pick Apple as my number one e-com brand. Nice. What about a software or tool that helps you run your business or life? I use a little tool. Uh, people may not know about it that much, but it's called Whimsical. Uh, it's a workflow, you know, building, you know, when I'm building workflows to launch a service or to launch a product or to, des to design, you know, our, you know, 3PL workflow, I go to this tool. It's like a mind mapping, you know, oh, nice, uh, yeah. tool, flow chart tool. So I really love it. It's mm -hmm. called Whimsical. 
Yeah, yeah. definitely. That's uh, quite a unique one. I've not heard that before. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of our listeners that could find that useful, though, in planning things out and mapping things out. So that's great. Great shout. Okay, uh, what about an organic marketing channel? Uh, as, you know, as... Uh even though the the security reasons that this app is facing a lot of problems now, I still prefer TikTok uh, yeah. because of the level at which you can go viral and which you can drive traffic uh, to your listings or to your product. I'll say TikTok still is one of the best, if not the best for me at the moment. Nice. In uh, one word answer, do you think it will get banned or not? <sighs> I think, I think uh, the f uh, they will force a sale. I don't think it will get banned uh, because there's such a lot resting on that mm -hmm. app that mm -hmm. it, it has a little bit of a political uh, mm -hmm. pool as well because the young people, you know, kids and teenagers are using TikTok. And I feel that if they ban it outrightly, I think it's going to affect the current administration politically mm -hmm. because they're looking towards the uh, younger, you know, younger people's votes. So that's my take. I think they're going to yeah. force the sale, but they, it's going to be very hard for them to ban it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I think it, I don't think it will get banned, but we'll see. Um, okay, uh, number four, a favorite paid marketing channel. Um, I will still I'll pick Instagram uh, at the moment for return on investment uh, purpose. I still feel Instagram for me, you know, does better. Okay. And then what about a business book? Uh, the good old Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki has always been the most transforming book for me. I was in college when I read it and. I felt like just quitting college and just going somewhere else to go start a business. So to me, that's still going to be my best book so far. Nice. Good, good. Love it. Thanks for doing those. Appreciate that. Some helpful information for our listeners. Um, so talking then of product innovation, it's something that you, as you mentioned with your backstory, you have learned some things the hard way, but you've obviously learned some lessons and are really excelling in this area now with, with everything you're doing in your day-to-day business um so how can our listeners really stand out with with product innovation obviously the e-commerce industry selling on amazon for example it's a maturing industry so there are more people doing it so right. to stand out our listeners will need to innovate can you speak to how people can innovate with their products so um thanks for that um i would want to start with my story of how I knew that product innovation was going to be very key for small brands uh, or micro brands. Mm -hmm. I was in China like six, seven years ago, and I saw how um, Amazon was uh, starting to invite factories to come and sell on their platform. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, wow, game over, game over game over for the smaller guys that is just selling a me too product that is just selling a you know average private label product that you're just going to slap your label on it. it it looks the same as everybody else just put your label on it and start selling i knew the time was over and i started getting on podcasts i'm like guys you gotta wake up 
the factories are going to start competing with you very, very soon. The only way you can outsmart them is by uh, creating innovative products. And for me, an innovative product is a product that is moat driven, uh, M-O-A-T. Uh, which is a product that has unique selling advantage. You don't want to go to war unless you have a competitive competitive advantage over your enemies, mm -hmm. right? So it's the same way you want to build any brand, you want to sell any product. These days, you need to uh, have a product that will save you money uh, in fulfillment, in storage cost, in tariffs. You need a product that will look different solve problems that your competitors products aren't solving at the moment it's going to be product that is unique to you and product that you can protect one way or the other uh so that nobody can knock you off yeah that's really good and how do i know it's a hard question to answer but my immediate <laughs> follow-up is then how, how do people build moats in their products um, you, because we would obviously say the last thing you want to compete on is price because a race to the bottom is you know one that nobody wants to win can you give us with your experience and uh, i know you do you haven't sort of touched on it too much but you do a lot of sourcing work right you have a your, your agency is it uh, is it a sourcing agency or can you give us some more info on that yeah, uh, supply chain. So we kind of put everything together instead of instead of just doing sourcing. We discover that uh, the brands and the customers that are coming to us, they just want a more mm -hmm. holistic approach to their mm -hmm. products. So we offer them product development, sourcing, inspection, shipping, clearing, tariff reclassification mm -hmm. and warehousing, 3PL and order fulfillment. Nice. So we put everything under one roof so that you don't have to deal with seven different vendors. You can just streamline your operation and we'll get, we'll get to that. You just streamline your operation and you can save yourself a lot of time and effort mm -hmm. in, in, in your business. Yeah, that's smart. That's good. Okay. Um, and so in terms of that moat, what are some of the most common ways or the opportunities, I suppose, for sellers to go in and build a moat around their product? Is it a case of having to innovate with brand new products or can someone take a uh, yoga mat is the example I always use and build a moat around a new kind of yoga mat? Give us some, some thoughts on that. Awesome. So when you're building uh, a product, uh, when we're talking about product innovation, people always think, oh my God, it's gonna be so expensive. It's gonna be a product that is so complex. No, uh, uh, building a moat around your product just could just be changing the materials. Yeah. Uh, I had a, a customer that was really big on, you know, in puzzles and, you know, she's like, how can I make my puzzle better? You know, she's like, what other, you know, what other materials can I use? I'm like, what's everybody using? You know, everybody's using paper. Okay, what can we use? Can we use PVC? Can we use wood? It's like, yeah, wood, wood is good. I know a very few, very few companies are using wood. I said, okay, let's do wood and let color the wood inside. Every other puzzle has like a, you know, like a brown color inside. I'm like, how about you have like a felt material on the inside how can you color it blue so that when they see any blue puzzle they know it's yours right so these are simple stuff that you can 
that you can come up with that you can introduce into your product to make it completely unique some some might be if the product is so big why don't you turn it into like a telescopic uh, version whereby it fits into very small packaging instead of fitting into a large package you know why can't you use other alternative materials like you know pvc like composite materials you know when everybody else is using wood guess what you could use something else and also you could redesign your product to 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 be flat packed you know you can make the customer assemble the product by themselves so there are tons and tons you can add music you can add you can add lights you can add sa i mean you know uh, sound you can mm -hmm. you can put remote control function to your product you can add app to your product you can make your product do two things if you have a frequently bought together products let's say you're you're selling a knife and you all of a sudden notice that some people are also uh your frequently bought together product is a peeler you'll be like you know what maybe i can create a knife and a peeler together in one single product you can design it that doesn't cost much these are really simple uh products that you can come up with uh, by reading what the problem is and looking at what is missing in the market and also finding what you're passionate about. So if you marry passion with what's missing in the industry and the solutions that uh, you want to create, you want to solve the problems you want to solve, you will be able to create a really good product that it's going to be hard for anybody to knock it off, but remember to protect it. Yeah, that's awesome. And it really aligns with our uh, philosophy at Brand Building University. You know, we talk about creating high quality products that solve problems for a specific group of people. That's kind of like the, the brand builder blueprint as such. And so I think that's it really aligns with that. And you're know, finding something that you're passionate about solving is something that, you know, sometimes people shy away from because um, they think, well, you, I, I know I have said in the past, don't sell a product um you know don't just jump into a product that you're passionate about because the emotion of that can allow your um you know the data to be skewed by your emotions but if the data right. does support that passion then that's a the perfect combination um right. in terms of finding those opportunities though you you listed loads there which is super helpful and definitely is going to help people start to think of ideas how do they start to um, narrow down like how much innovation is too much innovation you know like the yoga mat for example mm -hmm. if someone releases a wooden yoga mat that's got remote controls and lights and sounds and you know that's going to be a bit much right and i know that's a silly a silly example yeah. but just from that perspective how much is too much how, how far do people need to go with innovation to really stand out well i have a rule of thumb which is innovation should make things simpler not make oh, it more complicated, it. not make mm -hmm. it harder. It should be simpler and simpler and simpler. When your customers are finding it hard to even understand what your product does, when, you're, when they're finding it hard to know, is this a, is this a yoga mat or a music mat? You know, I, oh, I, I have this guy in New York and uh, he comes up with some weird products. He could put like a, it could put a, is the kind of person that would put a speaker on a yoga mat. I'm like, why would you do that? You know, oh, I want to make it Bluetooth. And I also want to be able to throw the mat up there. And I want the mat to be sliding to have a little wheel. I'm like, mat shouldn't have a wheel. 
<laughs> so when you start to overcomplicate things and your product is getting compl complicated and harder instead of making it simpler than what's already in the market, you know you're going too far. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, that's helpful, very helpful. And then in terms of making those uh, innovations or improvements a reality, obviously sourcing is another big part of the challenges for sellers getting started if they've never dealt with a manufacturer before. Do you find much resistance when you go to manufacturers and say, actually, we want to make these changes? Um, how, and if you do, how do you overcome that kind of resistance? Yes, um so when you're looking for a, when you're when you're going into product innovation and you're looking for a supplier, how I I go for suppliers that are called ODM, which is uh, original design manufacturers. Those are the suppliers that can actually modify structurally a product. They when you come up with your innovation, when you tell them about what you're about to do, they're excited. They're excited. Mm -hmm. So they're ODM suppliers. If you go to an OEM supplier, which is just somebody that wants to do private label for you, uh, they're go you're going to face a lot of resistance and the project is going to take so long. So when you're searching for your suppliers, make sure you filter your search by looking only for ODM suppliers. In fact, when you're sending your first inquiry uh, to your supplier, I, I kind of list all these things down in my uh, new sourcing course. Uh, you, you, when you're going into Alibaba, make sure you're looking for an ODM supplier so that when you're sending your first inquiry email, it says, Hey, uh, I'm looking, you know, are you an ODM supplier? Because I have my own design that I want to do. Once you narrow down and you're only dealing with ODM, you know, kind of suppliers, they will be happy to, uh, to help you with your product. And some suppliers may say, look, we will need a, uh, we will need the help of a mold maker or we need the help of a mold designer. You know, then you can source for, uh, uh, product development firms in China as well. There are, you know, a few of them there that can actually design and develop prototypes for you. And once you do that, then you take it to your main supplier and say, I want to replicate this. These are the files. Help me redo, help me replicate this in your own way. Yeah, nice. You mentioned a mold there and getting one created early in your career. Um, it is quite a daunting process for a lot of new sellers. Mm -hmm. the, the, the idea of, of doing one is, well, I can create a moat and create this unique product. It's great. Firstly, in your experience, how much should someone expect to pay for a mold process um, and then B, when does that become worth it in your opinion? Yes, um, so mold is a very uh, sensitive pro uh, um, part of uh, a product development. Uh, I'm going to use like a cell phone case for example. So let's say you want to make a mold for this cell phone cover. Mm -hmm. It could, it, this could be maybe $2,000 or less. Uh, it's going to be injection mold. Um, when is it worth it? If, if you're making a big product, then the mold can be thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. So I would advise before you even get into molds, you can 3D print your product first, test it in the market, make sure it's good before you even invest in mold. And then when you decide to invest in mold, uh, make sure that the ROI makes sense. 
There are different materials that are used for mold. They, you know, I've seen brass mold before. I've seen copper mold before. I've seen aluminum mold and steel mold. Uh, it depends also on the lifespan of the mold. Uh, there's a mold that can create only 300,000 pieces of this product and then they, they're not, they're not good anymore. There's a mold that can make a million pieces of these and they're not good anymore. So you have to work out your rate and say, okay, if I'm spending 10 grand on a mold and it can only make 100,000 units. Mm. Uh, so what's my return? What's my amortization on my mold? Mm -hmm. uh, you can also say, okay, if I pay $2,000 more uh, and I get a brass mold and that can do 500,000 units, then you say, oh, okay, all right. So a brass mold is actually more, uh, you know, has more ROI than the other one they wanted to do for me. So yeah. I think you should punch your numbers when you're looking at the mold and say, okay, how many pieces of this product can I mm -hmm. comfortably sell uh, in a year or in two years or in five years time before my mold expires? If you don't think you can move a lot of volume on that product, then I wouldn't invest so much money into the mold. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting um, to note, I think, for a lot of our listeners, you know, not all molds are created equal. Like you say, there's uh, great differences between them. So that's something that should definitely be investigated in that process. Um, what I know a lot of people would ask about the protection of that mold then and a supplier potentially using that for somebody else. That's obviously a big no-no from our side of things. Yes. Does that happen or is that just a complete no-no for suppliers as well? They do. They, they try to do it. So when you're building a mold, you have to have a mold ownership agreement in place. Mm -hmm. Okay. Make sure that you own that mold and that it's not a modified mold because if your supplier is modifying a mold for you, they can lay claim on it or they can buy it off of you. They can say, well, look, we cannot release this mold uh, because it's a modification or it's a, it's a modified version of our own mold. So for that reason, we cannot release it to you. So be mm -hmm. very sure that before the, at the very beginning, everybody's clear, you have a mold ownership agreement and you can take your mold anywhere you want. If you want to relocate it to Europe and do your manufacturing in Europe or the US or Canada or Mexico, you'll be able to relocate it anywhere you want. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, there's so many more questions I, I feel we could go into, but for the sake of time, we'll move on. But obviously, we'll be leaving your details in the show notes uh, if anybody did want to reach out and um, take advantage of your services because um, you, you know what you're talking about, that's for sure. Um, but let's let's talk about 3PL operations briefly because I know um, that's a, another area of your expertise and it's something I wanted to dive into because it's becoming more important for mm. sellers to really uh, get a good 3PL strategy in place or a good supply chain management strategy yes. you know regardless of 3pl or direct to amazon or direct to consumer whatever that is mm -hmm. um but from a 3pl perspective how should uh, e-commerce owners really uh, optimize that part of the process can you give us some some expertise some insight into how you're really optimizing that stage of the process and and keeping costs down when it is a really costly aspect of having to sell on uh you know selling on amazon you used to be able to just send everything straight to amazon as you know but now with more and more 3pl costs coming through it does affect margins how can sellers navigate this effectively yes um so 3pl 
and supply chain uh, management. Uh, smaller brands or e-com brands are just warming up to that phrase, supply chain <laughs> management. <laughs> it's a phrase that bigger companies have really figured out several years ago and they, they use. Uh, supply chain is just the, the, the path or the journey your product travels from conception uh, to, to manufacturing, to shipping, to QC, to warehousing and to order fulfillment till it gets to your customer's hands. That's just what supply chain. That's like a, you know, fifth grader definition of supply chain that I, I can give it. Uh, 3PL is part of that supply chain and they do the logistics part. That means the receiving the safekeeping storage and then fulfillment either to send it to Amazon or to fulfill directly to your consumer. So, uh, this day, there are different types of 3PLs. Many people don't realize it. There is a order fulfillment 3PL that that's what they're good at. They're good at fulfilling your order. So if you're selling on Kickstarter or all these places, they can fulfill your order for you. They'll store and fulfill. There is a, a product prep uh, or Amazon, you know, prep 3PL now, whereby they'll store your goods and they'll send it to Amazon for you. They are not set up to do order fulfillment. You know, it's going to take them forever to do order fulfillment and it's going to be very expensive for them. And uh, the first 3PL that I defined, which is the order fulfillment 3PL, they do not like receiving containers. <laughs> they want you to ship, ship them just boxes, little boxes. They'll receive it in. They have to tag and put label on every single unit that you ship to them. Uh, they don't like receiving containers. They don't like getting big trucks. They only want small items. And they don't like sending products to Amazon because most <laughs> of them don't have loading dogs. <laughs> and the third type of 3PL is the hybrid one. So they do a little bit of this and a little bit of the other one. They can do your Amazon prep. They can fulfill your Shopify orders and they can do uh, massive D2C uh, fulfillment. So you first, you have to talk uh, to, you, can, you have to interview different 3PLs. Know what you want. What's, what kind of business are you building? Do you want to just sell on Amazon? That's fine. Do you want to just sell on Shopify and you're looking, and you're looking for a fulfillment 3PL? Then know that that's what you're going for. But if you want a, a little bit of both, you get, then you're looking for a hybrid, hybrid 3PL which is 80, 90% Amazon and 10% of Shopify or other channels, Walmart, wherever else you're going to be selling, right? And uh, when picking 3PL, I have, a, I have a list of questions you should ask. So for everybody listening today, you know, you'll be able to download it. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make it available for you guys to download this, um, you know, cheat sheet <laughs> for you to talk to your 3PL about. Uh, and I'll say the best way to, to get a 3PL is through maybe a podcast like this or referral will be my number one. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of the people, I'll say 90% of the people or brands that we carry in our 3PL, they came by referral. Uh, I think, you know, when a 3PL is doing a good job, people will naturally refer them and say, hey, this is what I'm using. This is the 3PL I'm using. So please ask your friends, you know, if they're happy with their 3PL. That's the number one source of uh, finding a good 3PL. Another one is communication. 
If you're mm -hmm. talking to a 3PL and it's taking them forever to reply you, that's a problem. Third one, software. Do they use software? Can you see your inventory live? Can you can you create orders? Can you create you know work orders directly from the software? If no, then problem. How flexible are they is another issue. Uh, are they flexible to help you bundle? Do they do kidding for your product? Can they help you if, if, if your product has issues? Can they help you fix it? You know, so many things in, in flexibility, automation, accessibility, cost saving solutions. Can your 3PL sit with you and discuss how you can save the goal of your 3PL is not to suck out as much as possible from you. you mm -hmm. It should be a partnership. There should be mm -hmm. an extension of your business. So you guys should sit down together and say, hey, how, you know, a 3PL should look at your workflow and say, no, you're going you're gonna to be wasting money on, you know, logistics cost if you keep doing this. We have a lot of brands come to us and I'll say, tell me what you're doing now. Let me see your, let me see your workflow. Oh, I'm going to bring this product and I'm going to send it to North Carolina and I'm going to, I'm like, why are you sending it to North Carolina? I don't know. <laughs> you know? Oh, and then, and then I'm going to do the inspection when it lands in North. Why are you doing inspection in the U.S.? It's expensive. Why don't you do your inspection and your labeling, you know, from the origin? So there are so many things to, uh, take into consideration do they have turnkey services how the speed at which they send your goods out are they reliable so all these interview questions uh will be in the cheat sheet that we're going to make available to all our listeners awesome that's perfect thank you for that in terms of keeping costs down you said about uh you know working with them to find ways to make it manageable finance wise one of the big expenses and one of the big challenges is the extra step that it creates having to whereas you used to be able to just send direct to amazon now you have to send some stock to a, sometimes to a 3pl and there's obviously then the receiving costs there and then there's the pick and pack to send those cartons to amazon as you send them uh, and the shipping fees to amazon so there's extra costs involved there what strategy do you run in order to optimize that do you send say you have a client that their restock limits or their you know the cubic feet system that it is now at amazon they are you know getting towards the limit so they can't send everything to amazon mm -hmm. do you try and then just send everything to a 3pl and then everything onto amazon or do you try and send some direct to amazon to save on costs or does that end up becoming such of a nightmare that it doesn't save on costs do you, do you have any kind of insight you can give us there i think it's by uh, on a case-by-case -case basis um First, your supplier that is going to be shipping your goods out. If you're sending directly from, let's say, from China to Amazon, your supplier better know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, because <laughs> I've heard a lot of horror stories. By, by default, that's the most cost-effective way to do it. Split your goods and say, all right, this one should go direct into Amazon and this one should go to my 3PL. But if you don't trust your supplier, if they don't have a lot of English speaking people or people that can manage that flow over there, it could become a nightmare. They could send the wrong items, slap the wrong labels on the wrong box, ship it to Amazon and create a lot of mess and problem for you. So I would say it, it depends on when, you know, when do you order the products? Time your orders very well 
to maximize if you trust your supplier to maximize how you send it from you know your supplier first into amazon and then the rest can stay with your 3PL. I used to be a good, uh, I used to be a, a, a promoter of keeping your stock in China because the, the, the warehousing is cheaper. But with the COVID, what COVID taught every one of us, you know, I don't want to leave my goods over there. I don't know what's mm -hmm. going to happen. So I still like to have it on US soil as close mm -hmm. by as possible so I can react to market changes and market trends. Mm -hmm. I had this lady, um, she she ships from China directly to Amazon all the time until somebody on TikTok did a review on our product and she sold like, who knows, 5,000 units in a day. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, uh, yeah, you have to go order. You know, she has to call it from China and everything because she couldn't react because she doesn't have a 3PL here. So mm -hmm. she learned in a hard way. Another reason you might want to put into your workflow for your 3PL is the returns. Uh, now that Amazon does not reimburse us for returns, damage returns anymore, we found out that most of the products that Amazon calls damaged are not actually damaged goods. They were just opened and uh, maybe the packaging was bad. So you can talk to your 3PL, especially if you, send, if you sell products that are $30 or $50 and above, uh, talk to your 3PL about receiving. A lot of 3PLs don't like doing receiving. Uh, that's mm -hmm. part of my questionnaire to ask your 3PL before you commit. If they don't handle returns, then you might not, they might not be a good fit for you. Okay. And um, what do you think about this strategy? Because I've been thinking about basically doing every other shipment. So one shipment, I'll send you know because we try and order about once a month to keep mm -hmm. a regular flow and mm -hmm. so one order send it direct to amazon if they'll let mm -hmm. me and then mm -hmm. one order send it to a 3pl one order to amazon one order to 3pl mm -hmm. so it's kind of like half and half but it saves the splitting of each shipment does that sound good or am i going crazy what am i missing there uh if you send directly to amazon are you sending by lcl or you're sending by hair cargo uh, LCL. Okay, so you're sending LCL directly. Um, you. Another question is why do you wanna? Why don't you put everything in three PL before saying okay? You wanna you wanna cut out the three PL side for some products. I think it's good because I see a lot of uh, customers do that. A lot of brands do that. Uh, I don't see any problem with it uh, mm. because. It's only that as long as you can time it very well, mm. if you can time it very well, create some buffer into your timing, I think it's going yeah, to work. Yeah. I think it mm. you know, obviously works really well. But if yeah. you don't have, if you don't time it very well, you can end up with a lot of inventory on Amazon and they'll charge mm -hmm. you excess storage because 3PL storage is usually cheaper uh, mm -hmm. than Amazon for in most cases. And the reaction to market is is an it's just a a big one for me you know let's say you send stuff to amazon and it moves it sells really fast 
and you don't have anything waiting in your 3PL to react within a one, two week period, then it becomes a, a problem. But it's a good problem to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Good. Okay. No, that's helpful. Thank you for that. And I'm sure, hopefully, it's helpful for some of, some of our listeners. I'm just getting a bit of uh, private consultancy here. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, amazing. Listen, we're coming up to the end of our time together. And I know you're, you're a busy man. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But just in terms of if you could sort of summarize your journey and your advice, everything you've been talking about today, is there a kind of final bit of take home advice that you would give to our listeners before we close? Well, um, the way I can rephrase that question is, what would I do differently if I were to start all over again, uh, having all the bad and good experiences? Uh, I think I'll innovate more. I'm going to protect my innovation. I'm going to automate using tools and software more. I'm going to diversify. So I'm not just going to be heavily reliant on China. I'm going to look at other places, you know, look into wholesale, look into Canada, look into different places, Europe, you know, in Mexico, wherever else I can diversify into. And I'm also going to outsource. So whatever I'm not good at, I'm not going to be jack of all trade. I, I, I'm just going to get the best of the best to handle different parts of my business. And then I'm going to partner up. Uh, I found out that businesses that have partners, they grow faster and they're more stable. So if you have if you have weaknesses and you have somebody that can complement that, uh, that would be ideal. And the last of everything is to enjoy every single day. Uh, you a lot of a lot of us, you know, quit our day jobs and come to e-commerce because we wanted freedom, right? And then you get into e-commerce and you're spending a hundred hours a week. You know, and there's no rest. You don't spend time with your kids. You can spend time with your wife, your family, nothing. You're always glued to your computer. You're looking at, you know, talking to suppliers, talking to vendors. So what's the point of, you know, what's the point of leaving your day job in the first place? You're not really enjoying life. You're not living the kind of life that you had always imagined you're going to do. So I would say innovate, protect, automate, diversify outsource partner up and enjoy every single day do not postpone your enjoyment live now <laughs> man that is some value packed uh, <laughs> advice there that is the, the best answer we've got to the final question of an episode yeah i think so uh you're a legend thanks so much for for sharing your insights with us afalabi it's really uh, insightful and, and helpful and uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of our listeners that will be wanting to find out more and, uh, and and get in touch and connect with you. Where's the best place to do that? Obviously, we'll leave all the details in the show notes in the description. But just for anybody that's listening on audio, where's the best place to uh, connect with you? The best place is to go to our website, honuworldwide.com. That's H-O-N-U Worldwide. That's W-O-R-L-D-W-I-D-E.com. Or you can just send us an email at savings at honuworldwide.com. 
Nice. Awesome. Uh, so we'll leave that in the show notes. We'll also leave uh, the link to, you've got a new course, Sourcing Mastery, I believe it's called. Yes. Um, so people can um, people can grab that. And then also the uh, the 3PL cheat sheet, we'll leave there in, uh, in the description as well. Some value to be had for all of our listeners. Afalabi, thanks for coming on the show today. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I really had a great time. Thanks. And I wish every listener uh you know great and successful 2023 and beyond (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing amazing well thanks everyone for listening as well i'm sure you got loads of value out of this uh keep on pushing hard in that supply chain and uh you know keep working hard to better yourself learn the things afalabi's been talking about today um it is a lot to learn there is a lot to get hold of in the e-commerce space but if you do master it there's incredible businesses to be built so go back listen to this episode again if you need to reach out to afalabi reach out to me if you need any help we'd love to hear from you and we'll see you in the next